to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Sean Young. And Sean has been an investor since 2016, wholesaling houses and using other creative finance strategies to create financial and time freedom for himself and his family. He's closed hundreds of deals and is the author of a book titled Adventures in Wholesaling, Let Me Show You How, and it can be found in all major book outlets. He also owns and operates a world-class virtual assistant company that provides professionally trained VAs. So Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? It's a pleasure to meet you or have you back, hey, have I, you on the show? <laughs> indeed. Hey, Eileen, thanks for having me. Exactly. I, I just interviewed you on my podcast. So it seems like we literally just hung up off that podcast. So it's yes. good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but it's super exciting to hear your story this time. I'll get a little bit more insight into your background. So let's start with that. Share a little bit about your background and how you got started with real sure. estate. Well, yeah, very briefly, guys, I come from a sales executive background uh, prior to real estate. At least 10, 12 years, I was a sales executive, top level, top 3% with my company for multiple years in a row. And we were based in Sweden. The company is based in Sweden. And uh, they decided to change their CEO for North America. The North America CEO decided to bring in his new team of project managers and salespeople. So just like that, 750 of us were out of a job, just like that. I got out of the blue, no warning, no nothing. So I told myself, hey, you know what? I'll never be in this position again where a job can control my destiny. So I always heard that real estate was a great way to make a great living. So here I am. I said, let me give it a shot. When that happened to you and you already knew that real estate was a great place to be and what did you do first in your real estate adventure? Great question. Great question. The first question, Eileen, was I went to one of those seminars. Uh, you know, they say come to our hotel downtown. I live here in Atlanta, Georgia, so they said, "Here, come down by the airport and spend a day with us, learning about real estate." Which I did. So at the end of that presentation, at the end of the day, they you know kind of ushered us all back to the back of the room. I said, "Hey, pull out your credit cards. It's going to be uh, thirty thousand bucks to get training from us." for a year. So I uh, thought that you got to spend money to make money and you definitely have to invest. I just didn't know any better. So I went ahead and did it. So for an entire year, I never got to meet the person who was like the quote unquote guru. I never spoke with him. I spoke with maybe a hundred different sales, customer service people. I just got lost in the sauce. And I figured, you know what, either I'm like the dumbest person trying to figure this out, or this just isn't for me. So I almost gave up, almost quit. And, um, uh, there's a gentleman out there named Ron Legrand. He's actually a great friend of mine now, but he's the godfather of creative like strategies, such as like sandwich lease options, lease options, things of that nature. He had a course that was 99 cents, guys. It's no longer available, sorry, but <laughs> it was a 99 cent course. I went through that course in two weeks because I had a choice, guys. This is my choice. I was out of money. The severance money that I had gotten was running thin. I have a family, so I have responsibilities. I had decisions to make. I was being highly recruited by other companies, and I was turning all those down, wanting to go all in with real estate. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give this 30 more days. So I went through that course, that 99-cent course, 
it took, took me two weeks. I made eight phone calls, guys. Six phone calls, no one answered. The seventh phone call was a realtor. And the eighth phone call yielded me $72,000. It turned out to be a sandwich lease option deal. So that was my entrance into real estate. Wow. You turned 99 cents into a $72,000 deal. That is incredible. <laughs> Indeed. And guys, results are not typical. So please do, <laughs> do not beat yourself if that doesn't happen for you in two weeks. <laughs> so Sean, when you heard about the seminar and you heard that it was a real estate seminar, did you know that you're going to get into a specific asset class within real estate? Or was it like, hey, let me just get started with real estate and then just kind of go down this path and just see where it leads me? Or did you have a specific intention or an understanding of what you were interested in focusing on? Eileen, honestly, I had literally no clue. I had no clue. I didn't understand the different strategies when people said get into real estate. Honestly, I didn't really even know what that meant. I just knew that I wanted to get involved somehow with real estate. I didn't know if that meant being a realtor. Honestly, I had no clue when I first got started. And with that year process, I still didn't know anything. I was like, I became a professional student of like all these different terms. And I just still didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the exit strategies were. I didn't know the differences between them. I had no clue. I had no clue. So when you took that 99 cents course also, and then within the two weeks, you were able to find that amazing deal. How did you work through the process if you were still brand new and you're still trying to figure things out at that time? I failed my way forward, guys. I took massive imperfect action. Each step that I understood, I, I took it. Once I got to a point where I didn't understand it, I would you know, ask questions, dig deeper and figure it out till I got into the next step. So that's exactly how I did it, guys. I found someone who needed uh, help with a, a problem that they had and I provided the solution. Can you explain a little bit that deal. It was a sandwich lease option, I think you said. Can yep. you explain a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. Very quickly, guys. A sandwich lease option. I want you to think of it like this. Like, Think of a sandwich. The top layer or the top piece of bread is the seller. I'm in the middle. I'm the meat, the lettuce, the tomato, whatever. I'm all that. And then the bottom layer, the bottom piece of bread, that's our qualified tenant buyer. So we stay in the middle of that sandwich. So that's why it's called a sandwich lease option, because we stay in the middle of this transaction. And why is there a reason to stay in the middle of a sandwich lease option? Here's the reasons. Because there's an opportunity to make money up front with the non-refundable option fee that you get from your qualified tenant buyer. Then there's an opportunity to make money on the monthly spread. So let's say the PITI, which is principal interest, taxes, and insurance, is 2000 bucks, And uh, you're able to charge your qualified tenant buyer $2,500 for the term of the lease. So now you've got a $500 monthly cash flow on this property. You've got the non-refundable option fee up front, And then on the end, when you actually close out on the deal and your tenant buyer executes the purchase, gets the loan, you're gonna get another big lump sum on the back end. So that's why we call it a sandwich lease option because we stay in the middle of the entire transaction. And that's the reason why, because there's an opportunity to get paid three times. If we discover that the opportunity is only going to make sense to stay in, get in and get out, we do what's called a lease option and we wholesale that and get out right up front. So what did you do within after that first deal and then leading up to where you are today? How did you start building it up and did you continue on that path or did you have to pivot anytime as you were figuring out your real estate path and your real estate journey? Eileen, another great, great question. So after I got my first deal, 
I didn't get the $72,000 up front because again, it's a 70, it's a lease option. So it, it's an option period. So over the time period of a three-year period is how I obtained 72,000, but I did get $20,000 up front as a non-refundable option fee. I used 5,000 of that 10,000 to go buy a mentor right away. I knew that I needed me fumbling kind of through the lease option, the sandwich lease option showed me that I need someone who can answer questions when I need them to answer the question. So I paid for a coach, guys. His name is Tom Kroll. He still exists, obviously. He's no longer a wholesale coach. He's actually sold that company, which was called Wholesaling Inc. But I joined that program, became a student, learned all the, the details on how to actually start a wholesaling business, which was completely different from the sandwich lease option that I just did. I didn't know that. I thought the sandwich lease option was a wholesale. To be honest with you, I didn't have a clue on what the terms were called. So once I actually got a coach, guys, within 30 days of me getting the coach, I had 11 more deals under contract. Seven of those deals I eventually closed on, but that's not it, guys. So what happened after that? Seven to eight months later was the next time I did a deal. Why was that? It's because I was like, oh my goodness, this is so easy. I can do a deal anytime. Anytime I want a deal, I'll just put this marketing out and I'll have the similar results, right? Wrong. That was not the case. So having a mentor who was constantly pushing me and, and staying on top of me to say, hey, Sean, do you want to scale this business? I mean, you're doing one or two deals a month. Like if you want to push this to the five, six, seven, eight, nine deals a month, you've got to grow it by adding on team members. And understanding that you've got to stay consistent with this. You can't just do it when you want to make money. So that's really interesting because you went and joined a coaching program, not realizing that it was a wholesaling coaching program. <laughs> and But then you made the most of it. And so when you were getting into mm -hmm. it and you're invested into the program and as you're learning it, when did the light bulb click off? And you're like, oh, this is different than what I was doing before. And then did you ever think to yourself like, oh, did I make a mistake? Should I have chosen a different type of coaching? What kind of went on during that time when you realized that there was a difference between the two? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, well, I was very fortunate and lucky because Tom Kroll was able to connect me with some other folks in our industry at the time. And uh, one of the gentleman's name was Joe McCall. And um, he is similar to uh, Ron Legrand, was a creative guy at the time. That was what he promoted and pushed and taught. So I learned from him that I could do both. I could do wholesaling and the creative deals simultaneously by just having multiple options available to the, the seller by being more prepared to solve problems. So I didn't have to necessarily make a pivot. And honestly, that was a huge benefit for me. Even though I had success and then I failed at the beginning, but the portion that was a huge benefit was the fact that I did two different type of strategies right away at the beginning of my career. So it taught me that there are multiple exit strategies that are available and you should go in, into each situation seeing how you can maximize the return on your investment. 
versus just saying, hey, we're going to be tunnel vision wholesaling this deal. If it doesn't work, it's a dead deal. So what allowed you to grow from just being a beginner doing a couple of deals a year and to where you are today, where you've been able to do several hundred deals at this point? What led to that growth? Adding on team members, guys. I got out of my own way. Remember, I said at the beginning, I come from a sales executive background. And again, I was the top 3% nationwide many years. So I prided myself on my capabilities to be a great salesperson. And I was just like, you know what? There's no way that I'm going to hire someone that's going to be able to replace me at my level. They're going to waste leads. They're going to burn opportunities. So I had to get over that. It was a challenging mindset shift for me. And that was, again, was one of my major challenges up front that my coach was able to help me with and help me get out of my own way and start hiring my staff, which the first hire was a cold caller. And uh, she's actually my executive assistant to this day. So she's been with me forever. That wasn't my first virtual assistant. The first ones were horrible, nothing against the people. I was probably horrible coaching or vetting them. I didn't have any clue. I just knew that I needed to get a virtual assistant. So I fumbled through that process. But once I actually figured this thing out, I created my own virtual assistant company, guys. I partnered with the largest call center out in the Philippines to figure out what were their processes, how were they doing business so that I could create my own agency so that we could have clients facilitated right here in America. So what did you learn that when you were first starting out with virtual assistants that didn't work out for Mm -hmm. you and they didn't stay long term, it sounded like, but the one your initial cold caller is now your executive assistant and that role has expanded and they've stayed for such a long time. What did you change in that process to go from being a short-term to a long-term team member? Great, great question. One of the things that I was finding out is that I didn't have... My coach was telling me to get a virtual assistant, but I didn't fully understand how to you know, train virtual assistant, how to manage that virtual assistant how to keep them motivated. I didn't know anything. I just figured, hey, I would go hire someone and then they would do do what I needed them to do, which was make calls and get leads. No, not at all. You got to ensure that I was hiring virtual assistants for patches of time, like five hours a week or just to do off tasks here and there. That's not a good method of using a virtual assistant, guys. I say that to you because if you are are hiring someone who is not dedicated 100% to your company, It's going to be hard to develop the type of traction that you need and the team centricity that's needed for success because they work with you from one to four, then from five to eight, they're with another client. That's not a good process. And I didn't understand these things. These are just things I had no clue of getting started at the beginning. What are some of the types of early on conversations that set the expectations and solidifies the relationship between you, who is the owner of the company, and then the virtual assistant? has different hours, could be potentially in a different country. The culture is a little bit different. What are some of the conversations that you need to have up front to make sure that everybody is on the same page? Well, guys, if you are are getting a virtual assistant outside of my company, then I would actually 100% say vet them by having at least a small interview with a virtual assistant, at least a 10 to 15 minute interview. It doesn't have to be long because you're not interviewing them necessarily as an employee at this stage, what you're trying to figure out is, can they speak well enough to your capability? Have a conversation with them. Hey, how was your day today? You have a lot of family. Just have a regular conversation to see how their responses are, because these are crucial aspects. Can they respond accordingly? Do they sound robotic? These are some of the things that you're checking for in that initial screening call. You want to see what is their background? Do they come from a real estate industry or do they come from selling dental plans, whatever it is, you have to understand clearly what you 
are getting so that you know if what you're getting is what you actually need. And then from the beginning, as the relationship is still brand new, it's almost like you're dating. You want to be on your best, put your best foot forward Mm -hmm. and everything like that in the very, very beginning. And as time goes on, maybe you stop wearing makeup or you wear pajamas all the time. And so things (laughs) might be slacking off a little bit. How do you keep Mm -hmm. them motivated and invested in your company so that you can continue to work together actively as a team to get to the same goals? Great, great question. Well, guys, for us, for our company here at REI World Solutions, what we do is our virtual assistants check in with their clients each morning. Hey, good morning. I'm here to start my shift. At the end of their shift each day, they send a report to show what they've done. So if if it's cold calling, hey, we've made 400 calls. We had 32 contacts and we've got two leads. See you tomorrow. The end of the week, they do a weekly report as well. That virtual assistant should also be monitored and managed, which is what we do for you on your behalf. We provide clients with the ability to monitor their own virtual assistant. Of course, every 10 minutes, screenshots are being taken from that VA's computer so that you know for sure that they're on task. But we, as a company, we ensure that whatever your KPIs, your key performance indicators are, whatever the requirements are that you have set for the VA, we do make ensure that VA is hitting those. And that's what's called managing the VA. A lot of times we buy VAs out here, not understanding that process. We spend five, six, seven bucks or whatever. And that person, again, is not managed. They're not monitored. They're just someone who's given to you and you have at it. That's a setup for failure, guys. What are some of the other things that you've seen that have helped make business owners successful while utilizing virtual assistants? Having systems in place, guys, you got to have a system in place. You got to understand what it is that your business is all about. What are your goals so that you can translate on over to your virtual assistant? Again, guys, you're the leader. This isn't a magic genie that comes out of a lamp. You still have to direct the genie. You still have to ask questions and direct them. They may grant wishes, but you have to articulate that wish in order for it to be executed. So understanding the direction of your business, understanding the needs of your business, and understanding how to deliver that to your staff is going to be crucial. And your staff, of course, includes a virtual assistant. How do you manage also the trust factor of using a virtual assistant who you're not able to see? You also talked about doing the screenshots every 10 minutes or so also, but how do you build up that trust factor as well? Because sometimes they are going to get access to sensitive information and things like that. So what are some of the tips that you can share with us? Great points, Eileen. Those are great, great points because 100%, a great virtual assistant is going to have access to your tools and they may have access to your back office, which could include have your payment details be exposed to them or any of those number of things. That's why it is highly important that you pick a reputable virtual assistant company. Again, hiring folks that offer, you know, that just send you messages and say, hey, we can do cold calling. It's not to knock anyone, but to give good advice, I would 100% say vet that company, do some research on them, Google them, see if anyone else has utilized them in your space. Do research, make sure that it's a reputable company. That would be my main key there because of course the opportunity to be burned by an employee is there on any level. Um, That's something that we can't 100% prevent, but you can definitely put yourself in a position to alleviate some of those opportunities by exposing yourself to bad companies or bad virtual assistants. Get a good company up front. So Sean, what is next for you and what's your next focus coming up here? Well, the next thing for me, guys, is, uh, you know, just helping as many people as I can 
to become millionaires. My goal over the next five years is to create a hundred millionaires. So I diligently working towards that, constantly creating new systems and strategies for not only myself, but my students that are all across the nation so that we can achieve this goal. So my next big mission, that's what I'm working on is to create a hundred new millionaires in the next five years. And Sean, how has real estate investing impacted your life? It's been a huge impact, guys. It, it's given me the time freedom that allows me and my family to enjoy the lifestyle that I could not imagine being able to enjoy with a nine to five. Because even at the top of my game at a nine to five, I was making a high six figure salary. I just didn't have the time freedom. I didn't have the security in place. I didn't know that I had something I could pass on to my family members if need be, or I could even hire people in my family to do jobs for various companies of mine. Without real estate, I would not have had that opportunity or even that mindset. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? That you should buy now and wait, buy and hold and just wait. You don't want to wait and buy, you want to buy and wait. So that's something that I wish I would have learned right up front. And Sean, what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? The successful people are those who make it happen because they have discipline and dedication in spite of being motivated. You've got to have discipline and dedication. It's way more important than motivation, guys. So that's what separates those who are successful is, in my opinion, are those who have the ability to make it happen, whether you want to do it or not. But you know that this is a requirement. So you go out there and make it happen because you're dedicated and you have discipline. Sean, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? Yeah, guys, if you want to get a hold of me, um, I'd love to speak with any of you. See if we'd be good fit for my coaching program or just you know take advantage of any number one of my uh, free resources that are out there. You can head on over to nationwiderealestatemastery.com. That's our website. You can also head on to nationwiderealestatemastery.com. That's our YouTube channel as well as our podcast. Same with our TikTok. And if you guys are looking for a professionally trained virtual assistant, head on over to reiworldsolutions.com. Sean, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. Eileen, it has been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.